What up everyone, this is your host Joel Sid and today I'm gonna be interviewing Steve Tendon. Steve Tendon played a key role in Malta blockchain regulations and if you guys are aware, Malta blockchain regulations were one of the first ones in the world. So he literally helped put blockchain regulations on the map. So in this conversation, we'll be talking about blockchain regulations. We'll be talking about the future of blockchain, decentralized autonomous organizations, and a lot of cool stuff, AI, IoT. So I would say get your notepad and tune into it because I think it's going to be a lot of good information. What was your role and the process of creating of the Malta blockchain regulations? Well, after the, uh, the drafting of the strategy as, as such uh, was, uh, was very, very fast. And uh, I would say that that came primarily from my management consulting experience. So I just applied to the context of the country things that I was already doing for, uh, for companies. But then the, the hard part came, and that was how, how was this going to go forward in, uh, in, uh, in forms of processes to create the, the laws and the regulations, the frameworks. Uh, yeah, the first hurdle was to create a so-called cabinet memo, which is a document that, uh, that the Minister of Cabinet uh, uses to, um, uh, to bring up issues and make, and make uh, decisions. It's a formal document, so it had to be written uh, according to lawyer language, and I'm not a lawyer. So I was presented to, to a uh, one gentleman who is Dr. Max Canado, and uh, within five minutes he was as enthusiastic as I was about this project, and he came uh, and he came on board. So together we wrote this uh, this uh, very important document. It uh, then came to the approval of the cabinet in the uh, beginning of 2016, and it was approved unanimously. There were no objections whatsoever. So that's already hinted up that this whole process was going to be very fast compared to uh, what normally regulations uh, take in terms of, of timeframes and, and durations. Um, the project then went over to uh, a newly appointed uh, minister, Honorable Sylvia Skembri, who was in charge of uh, this new Ministry for Financial Services, Digital Economy and, and Innovation. Um, the, uh, uh, initial focus of this ministry was on the blockchain project. So um, a task force was set up, and I was the strategy lead of this task force. And basically the task force had the um, mandate to transform the strategy, let's say the theory, into, into practice. And uh, in uh, a matter of, uh, well, one year, one year and a half, we actually... Uh, got to the point together with uh, with uh, Dr. Ganado and his team, uh, with many other players in the industry. We had many uh, consultation processes. We spoke to to the central bank, to Malta Enterprises, um, anyone who could be involved, and especially, of course, the, the regulators, in particular the Malta Financial Services Authority. Well, all all these opinions came came together, and eventually. Uh, the, uh, the drafts of the laws were presented. This was all uh, fast-forwarded, and uh, at the uh, in summer of um, 
2018, these laws were approved, and they came into effect uh, in November 2018. So basically, in, uh, in one year and a half, uh, we went from, from conception to actual deployment of these. Back in 2016, did you expect these regulations to have this kind of impact on Malta's economy? So you must keep in mind that this project started in 2016. 16, yes. So it was before the, the explosion of uh, 2017 when, when the uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, took, took a rocket. Yes. So basically, right? <laughs> um, so, so the uh, the whole decision making process was uh, uh, the initial decision making process was was unaffected by uh, by that that uh, uh, bull yeah. bull race yeah. of, of of Bitcoin, and most of the uh, economic um, like valuation was based not on the cryptocurrency part but on the prospect of uh, blockchain, remember my background, I was looking at blockchain as a technology that would enable new efficiencies, new business models um, that the blockchain would bring, bring to the island. And uh, the, the, key, uh, the key economic figure came from a study from the World Economic Forum where it was um, uh, uh, deemed that uh, in a matter of five to six years, the uh, the uh, uh, amounts of uh, of uh, money circulating on blockchains uh, would be ten percent of global GDP. So we just said, if that's true for the whole world, probably it's even more true for a little country that will focus on it. But we took that as uh, as a reference, ten percent of GDP. GDP, and that is also significant because Malta already had an experience in iGaming. iGaming is more or less ten percent of GDP, uh, and iGaming was also an economic sector that did not exist. It was created through legislation, so Malta was not new to this idea of um, issuing laws that, by regulating the unregulated, would uh, create new economic opportunities and prosperities. But again, the focus was on the blockchain, on decentralized computation, rather than on the Bitcoin and decentralized storage of that. Can you share with us what are the other projects that you are currently involved with? Uh, well, there are many fronts which are open uh, right, uh, right now. The, uh, the effort with, um, with the uh, Maltese uh, Law is uh, is not over. I mean, the the uh, official assignment of the task force ended at the moment the uh, the three laws were were presented. But there was a fourth law which uh, was proposed and which is in the working uh, now, and it came directly out of uh, a blog post. I can give you the, the links uh, that you can might put in the in the in the notes. A blog post where I um, having this focus on on blockchain technologies and and. Uh, all their, their, the new forms of, uh, of uh, software entities that can be created through blockchains, I uh, made a case for giving legal personality uh, to DIOs. And uh, the fourth law, which is being worked on right now, uh, goes in that direction. It has uh, uh, enormous implications in terms of private law and many other aspects where of course, all lawyers will have their their uh, their saying, 
um, but I'm still involved in, in giving my opinion on uh, on that on that development. And this same law, of course, has uh, uh, further implications not only regarding the blockchain, but also new developments in AI or IoT. In fact, you might want to notice that the uh, the third law, which is already approved, uh, is called the Innovative Technology Arrangements and Services Act. So we don't talk about the blockchain, we talk about technology arrangements. The blockchain is one possible technology arrangement, but AI could be another one, IoT could be another one, and who knows what the future will bring as well. Notice also that the wording is innovative, so there is a lot of focus in these laws on being able to promote innovation. That's the primary purpose of these laws. We know from other countries that regulations are often a hindrance to innovation, and we had the specific objective to do the opposite, to create laws that allow the evolution and the innovation of what we do with our technology. So that's, that's one thing that keeps me uh, very busy. Um, then, always related to this uh, topic of blockchain cryptocurrencies, I also have another extremely ambitious project going on, and that is advising the Republic of the Marshall Islands uh, in creating their new SOV, SOV. Uh, it's, uh, the idea is to create a cryptocurrency uh, which has legal tender status. So it's not a central bank digital currency, uh, which, uh, which is something that has been hypothesized by many central banks. It has been studied by the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund. Um, but it's a central bank digital currency is still like a, a conventional currency, only that it has uh, a digital form. While on the Marshall Islands, the idea is to create a real cryptocurrency that exists on a distributed, open uh, blockchain, and yet uh, has all the features that are needed to create uh, a legal tender. This would have enormous consequences because uh, um, Marshall Islands is effectively a state with a seat at the United Nations, so uh, legal tender necessarily needs to be recognized by the other states, and therefore the SOC would be traded on, uh, on foreign exchanges. And being at the same time uh, legal tender and uh, cryptocurrency, uh, that would build like a natural bridge between any fiat through foreign exchanges and any crypto through the crypto exchanges. It's very ambitious and we, we have uh, many, many hurdles to, to confront. You also about you know, my own projects. I have two two pet projects besides the, these professional ones, and uh, one is I'm writing a book, the book of blockchain strategies. Of course, what else? Where I'm delving into all possible ways that you can think about business strategies in relation to the blockchain, and also, of course, what to uh, take into consideration when it comes into to the field of regulations and. Where should you put your company when you start a blockchain uh, company? Um, and the other thing I'm uh, uh, very uh, happy about and keen about is uh, this initiative, which I call the My Blockchain Island Club. It's a club of friends which bring together people who share an interest 
and the interest is uh, about the business of uh, blockchain. Now it's called the blockchain island, but it does not relate to Malta as an island, as you might probably uh, assume. The island is the island of crypto, the island of blockchain, uh, because we see that crypto today uh, is an island. It's not connected to the real economy. There's still a lot to do to connect it to the real economy. So we need to build these bridges between the cryptosphere and the real, the real world. And I think that the best way to do that is to develop real business. That's why the focus of this club of friends is about real business. So I bring together anyone who has that interest. It could be an investor, it could be a startup, it could be a service provider, it could be a software engineer, anyone who does business with, uh, with blockchain. And of course globally, because the island is in the cryptosphere. And that's, uh, that's what I would like everyone to understand. Come on board, of course, everyone is invited to come on board. So, Steve, I want you to put your fortune teller hat on and tell us what's the future of blockchain, AI, and IoT looks like to you. Of course, I have a crystal ball, and I can tell you exactly <laughs> what happens in the future. Uh, no, of course, it's all uh, it's all uh, uh, speculative and maybe even wishful thinking. Um, but I base my uh, my considerations on on uh, um, knowing how technology develops. And uh, we all know that technology has uh, the famous S adoption curve. S curve, yeah. yes. And, and uh, in terms of blockchain, we, we haven't seen even the first little tick. So this is something that will, uh, will explode. And no doubt it will be compounded with, uh, with uh, other technologies like AI and, uh, and IoT. Uh, blockchain, we know, has uh, certain features that uh, are, uh, uh, at least from a conceptual level, uh, very important both for the development of AI and IoT. I um, just mentioned the case of all these smart things that will be around us. They will need to be identified. So we have the identity of things. I sometimes say it's the ID of IoT, but it spells out to idiot, so I don't <laughs> think that's a good acronym. But anyway, <laughs> the identity of things is going to be huge. And uh, uh, because these things will also be autonomous, they will be roaming around us and uh, possibly crossing borders, jurisdictional borders, organizational borders. Uh, we all know that today these borders uh, are also... Uh, data silos, they, uh, they are borders between different databases. Just look at healthcare with all the records spread across a gazillion systems and you as a patient, you don't have access to your own, to your own data. Uh, so in this case where we have these autonomous entities roaming around and we want to be able to identify them, we need some sort of global identity management system, whether that is identity of individuals and that you know, makes also a natural connection to uh, global problems of, as I was saying, the identity of things means that um, the blockchain infrastructure, or something similar to the blockchain infrastructure, but that has the same traits of uh, eternal storage, immutability, uncensorability, and so on, uh, becomes almost inevitable. We must have that for all these 
amazing developments will not uh, will not happen. And at the same time, we have these AI, IoT. It's 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 an alphabet soup. But we have these new entities which become autonomous, and that's where the fourth law I mentioned before becomes very very relevant. There are a number of reasons why we should be um, serious thinking about the consequences of of this uh, of this uh, autonomy. Um, we will will be in a situation where. Uh, we as human beings will be interacting more and more with uh, technological entities, whether they are AIs, DAOs, or something else. But it's not another person, and it's not a, another association of people uh, like uh, a limited liability company or so on and so forth. And we know that when there are interactions, and especially when there is software involved, Sometimes things go to the blue screen of death, as we had in Windows once upon a time. Um, but we are not that lucky as we were when we had the PCs like 10, 15 years ago, where we can just switch off the computer and reboot. You cannot reboot a blockchain. It's there and it's running all the time. And therefore, if these, uh, say, a DAO that exists on the blockchain has... Uh, uh, certain behaviors which produce a damage, maybe they're not evident in the initial deployment, but they become evident as time goes by, um, some human being will be damaged. And the key question is, what level of recourse can we have? Who is liable? There are lots of debates around this, uh, this issue. I know that in the US, uh, um, there is um, a lawyer, I think her name is Angela Vark, uh, who is uh, strongly proposing that liability should be held by the developers. So, uh, because they exercise a fiduciary role with respect to, to the users of this, uh, uh, of this system. Now, many software engineers will rebel to this notion um, for a simple reason that. Um, given the complexity of modern uh, software creations, especially when open source software is involved, the <coughs> dependency graph of, uh, of calls and libraries and, and microservices and functions, and you name it, is, um, uh, is an exponential explosion. So it's quite difficult to pinpoint who exactly is the responsible for some damage. So it's a practical problem. That, that comes about. Um, some would claim, well, there might be you know, a, a collective liability. The whole bunch is, uh, is uh, responsible. But why would you go after, say, uh, someone who maybe is coding for a hobby on an open source project and doesn't even know how the software he wrote will be eventually used maybe five years down, down the line? It's really impossible to track these lines of, uh, of uh, uh, responsibility, of liability. So I think that that reasoning uh, doesn't hold. But even if it did hold, even if we would accept the notion that uh, software engineers are responsible for uh, these uh, new entities, these new creatures, um, specifically in the case of the DAO, 
um, the, the boat will not float. Why? Because uh, the DO exists on a blockchain, and a blockchain is that famous elephant that remembers forever. So these creatures will be eternal. They will exist forever. And we must contemplate the scenario that the original creators or creators, the multiplicity of developers who have contributed to the creation of this entity, sooner or later they will die, they will naturally extinguish, but this entity will still exist. And maybe 200 years from now, it will create that damage. So we must contemplate this situation where there is a piece of software that exists and has autonomy and produces damage. But it's, it's even more uh, complex than, uh, than that, uh, because um, some might say, well, that will never, never happen. A software cannot have that sort of uh, persistence. Such DAOs will never exist. In reality, the Bitcoin is the first DAO, because the Bitcoin, what did it do? It replaced the clearing and settlement houses, so literally took away jobs that people were doing before. Uh, and it's doing it so perfectly that no one has had a reason to complain about how it's working. Uh, not only that, but uh, because when the Bitcoin protocol is, uh, is working, um, this very simple DAO, the Bitcoin is an extremely simple DAO, is also earning money, so to say. It's the transaction fees. Not only, but it's paying the miners to do the work. So we have a piece of software that has employees. Now, I don't think the miners consider themselves as employees of a piece of software, but effectively that is what is happening. It's a piece of software that is paying people that out of self-interest will do something that will keep this piece of software ongoing. If we take this forward uh, into the future, well, some people will say, oh, something goes bad, we just take down the blockchain and the game is over. Uh, I don't think that will be possible because in, uh, in a few years, uh, maybe it's decades, but it's no time in historical perspectives, when these blockchains will uh, be transporting trillions of dollars every day, every single day, there is no way you can shut it off. Uh, the economies involved will just be too huge. If there is one misbehaving DAO, you don't want to take out all, all the others. You cannot do that. So we have to deal with, uh, with this notion that these DAOs will, will exist forever and they cannot be taken uh, down. And I said the Bitcoin is a very simple DAO because it just moves a number from one place to another, from my wallet to your wallet. Uh, but more sophisticated DAOs will have much more convoluted and complex behavior. They might even include or use the services of AI. And then you get to the point where you don't even know what they're doing because they literally have a mind of their own. So if you have an entity that has a mind of its own and exists forever and you cannot take it down, you must contemplate the possibility that it can create damage. What do we do about that? And that is the key question of this fourth one. What are your thoughts on decentralized autonomous organizations versus artificial intelligence? Well, it's, it's even a, a more perverse, if you wish, because we, we thought about the autonomy of, of the DAO. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a trait that it shares with AI. AI is autonomous. But the DAO is, is even more perverse. Why? Because 
by by having uh, an economic um, transaction between itself and humans, um, it becomes even self-sufficient. And AI is not self-sufficient. You can call Terminator and ask <laughs> ask it to take down uh, the Google Cloud or whatever, or the robots or the autonomous car. There is a physical point of of, uh, of attack. Uh, but with IDEO, it's it's on a blockchain. It's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Uh, it's next to impossible to take it down. But since it's offering services and being paid for, in turn it can pay. So it is, it's not only autonomous, but it's self-sufficient. Self-sufficient, sure. It's getting money to keep on functioning, as long as it's providing useful services. Yes, as long as there's a market, makers and takers are there, yeah, you're right? Yes. And there are always going to be those. You, you could probably starve a DO to death, <laughs> if you like ruled out. And there are new protocols coming out, mm -hmm. which are very promising on the paper, like the Avalanche uh, protocol, uh, which uh, looks extremely interesting, um, which really can have, can have billions of nodes which are contributing to the upkeeping of, uh, of the immutable record. Absolutely. And once you are in that situation, it's, uh, it's very difficult to, to pull the plug. It's not like when the infamous VDO hack happened, where they could you know, reverse the tape and, and uh, change the immutable record. Steve, where can people connect with you and get more information on these topics? Probably you could reach me by, uh, by signing up for my, my draft book because I love also to receive, uh, receive feedback. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'll give you the, the link afterwards, uh, but it's changestrategies.com slash DBS for number three, because you can download a free chapter of the book. And uh, notice, well, if you give me feedback before I finish writing it, I'll also give you the entire book for free. Thanks a lot, Steve. That was great conversation, great insights. I got to learn a lot, and I hope our audience got tons and tons of information. So, guys, if you want to reach out to Steve or get his book, you can go to his website, which is chainstrategies.com. And if you want to connect with me, you can contact me at hello at rehuman.com or hello at joelsid.com. So until next time, take care.